he didn't ask to be born, he's here. I have a responsibility. I've got to create in the best environment to be as successful as possible. You know, it takes a village to raise a child and all that sort of stuff. And I still haven't worked out what it takes to raise a champion. I want him to be a champion and I want him on that podium. I have to sacrifice to get him there because he's not going to do it on his own. I'm not going to be here forever. I need to leave him a legacy. So for me, it's finding that independence, that he has a very clear mission, a sense of purpose. I said, if you can't take the crowds, you can't race. If you can't swim in a crowd of people, you can't do triathlons. And he just said, I want to do it. Sometimes people see the end result and go, my God, isn't he amazing? And nobody knows the trials and tribulations. For me, what Sam is doing is that it's making parents out there that have a child who has challenges, a family member's challenges, see that sport is an important part of healing. Hey, everybody. Morgan Lattimore here. People call me Coach Morgan, the people's coach. I'm a Marine. I'm a triathlete. I'm a coach and I'm a family man. And you know what? I like having real conversations with real people. I want to talk to people that are willing to have the, the hard conversations, get down deep and dirty on things that they don't tell anyone else. Because who are those people that avoid the real questions? They still have a long way to go. But the people on this podcast are willing to go deep and let you know who they really are so you can grow from their experiences. Sam Holdis is a triathlete who has channeled his autism to compete at the highest level of triathlon. He wouldn't be there without the relentless faith of his parents, Marilyn and Tony. They were told they should limit their expectations for Sam. They politely declined. They believed their son had plenty to offer. They made the choice to meet Sam where he was, not where the world told him he should be. At 28, Sam has a college degree, a growing number of fans, and just competed in the Ironman 70.3 World Championship. Sam has astounded everyone around him. I got a chance to talk to his dad, Tony, who is also his coach. A terrific human being, but also just a lot of fun. Here's my conversation with my friend, Tony. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing really good. Um, it's winter, but we're getting ready for some races. We're enjoying ourselves, you know, trying to work through the winter, trying to dodge the COVID bullet. It's always winter over there. <laughs> yeah, or some form think, of it. I think I only saw the sun for four or five days in the last six weeks. Yeah. And today was one of those sunny days. What does that do to your mood? It's okay, you just take vitamin D tablets and sit on a sun lamp. Are you joking? <laughs> or are you <laughs> I don't know what's going on right now. Like, like is that a because vitamin D is a is a thing when you're deficient in it, and if you if you don't get any sun, you're deficient in it. Is yeah, that so a thing that people practice over there? Yeah, we take vitamin D tablets. Really? Yeah. But it also explains why people are not really like bubbly and and, and it's, it's, where are you exactly? Like where like what? I guess, do we call it a Providence or a city? What is it called? Like, what yeah, is so, it called? So I'm, I'm in London. I'm in the suburbs of London. So In London? Yeah, so you've heard of Big Ben and Buckingham Palace. They're just No, like, never heard of them. Never yeah, at like all. Five or six miles away from here. Oh, do you know the Queen? Yeah, once a week we're up there for lunch. You know what it's like. 
<laughs> do you have do you have crepes? Um, well, the Queen oh. has a crib for sure, definitely. Ah, right. mm. <laughs> and they have the, the etiquette that we have to use when we speak into this being, uh, and, or she's spoken to. Yeah, well, she speaks to you. That's the oh, first. Okay. <laughs> have you ever actually met her? No. However, however, okay. we've been inside the Buckingham Palace. Okay. Uh, my wife Marilyn, she got a it's called an honors. Okay. So it's an OBE. Um, still ordered the British Empire. So she got a medal for her services to education. So we went to Buckingham Palace. We met Prince Charles and she gave her the medal. Um, that was about 10 years ago. So she's, she's an OBE. She's a professor in OBE. So she's one super smart lady. Mm. Well, you got a house, you got a house full of overachievers, man. Well, you know what? The funniest thing, a mate of mine <laughs> sent him some stuff on Sam <laughs> He's, a, he's in Australia. I went to school with him, but he's in Australia now for some reason. And um, he wrote back and said to me, wow, a family of overachievers. When are you going to make it? Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but you are you are doing something, right? You're coaching your son. You're supporting him. You're being a father. I think you, if your wife is good and your son is good, I think you've achieved over most people's expectations in general. We coach, you know, you're you're Ironman certified coach. I'm Ironman certified coach. It's it's not an individual's effort. I always tell people yeah. uh, or athletes I'm speaking to, it's like, you're not going to tell me what I need to do or how to do it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what has to be done. We're going to work together to create that that goal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's a big piece of it. And so, so tell us, like, what is your role? Like, what do you do on a daily basis? What does that look like? Wow. So um, day start, nutrition for Sam, looking at his breakfast, making sure he's got his nutrition right. Um, we set the schedule of the night before for, for the next day. So we discuss the schedule. We have a relook at it because when you see him at night, so after he's finished that day, you're thinking, is he too tired or not? You look at it the next day, see how he feels when he wakes up and sets the schedule. And, you know, it's a balance between me going with him to the gym and encouraging him politely. <laughs> Yeah. That's what you call it. Okay. Shouting. And, uh, <laughs> and um, just seeing that his technique's right because he's got a big engine. He's right. aerobically sound. It's all about technique. And that's how he's going to get, you know, the extra minutes and seconds back in terms of running techniques, swimming technique are the, are the really big things we're looking at. Um, once he's off in the gym, then I... I'm working on a book with someone about Sam. So I okay. spend time researching and writing. Then I'm speaking to either agents, agent managers, looking for new sponsorship agreements. That sort of stuff is quite regular. So it's, 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 then I do his accounts as well. Um, I've got a couple of bike jobs to do. I've got to replace the front derailleur at the okay. moment. I've got to do that. You're a mechanic but too. I'm a mechanic too. Oh my God. And, Probably two times a week, I take him to the gym, so I'm a taxi driver. Okay. So it's all of that sort of stuff. So it's, it's, it's a whole lot of stuff. And then then I cook for the family as well. So, um, you know, I'm head cook, bottle washer, taxi, mechanic. I think you're already an overachiever, man. You're, you're literally, you're a coach. You're an agent, right? Uh, you're a chef, right? Yeah. Um, and you're, you, we'll say you're a man of many talents. You're a master of none. Okay, uh, no, yeah, well, you, maybe you master being a man of many talents. Yeah. We don't ever think of it like that. You, we think that we have to master individual things, 
but mastery can come throughout life, right? Like you don't have to master one thing. You could, I mean, that's this life is a journey. So if we just stuck to one thing, would we ever be living anyway? Uh, and, and I think you're right there. I think the, I mean, if I look at my goal, it's about making Marilyn and Sam have an environment they, that it can be successful in. So I create that environment. I make sure everything else is easy for them. I mean, they did for yeah. me as well. Don't misunderstand me. But I try to make it easy. I try to make, you know, it's there. It, it, Sam doesn't have to think so much about if he has a, if his bike's broken, you'll tell me and I'll fix it. I'll fix it with him. Don't misunderstand me. But if he's got to go off and do some running, he doesn't have to spend two hours playing around with a bike. He can go off and train. And that's the sort of stuff that, I mean, that, that's what I do. you learn how to be you know at that level of a character is this something that like over time you've just you kind of like develop like did your family or your father or your mother did they what kind of were they caretakers in the same way or would they have the they give you those same traits like i want to be there for my family i want to be there for my wife and set the example for you like were they the same type of person yeah i mean my my parents have been married 65 years oh a good example and my dad said, I'm going to earn a prison sentence, but cut that out. Um, <laughs> oh, no, we leaving that in there. That's the good stuff. <laughs> my mom's going to see this. <laughs> That's the point, man. We got to get the bus. Because guess what? If it don't get something stirred up, then she ain't going to tell nobody else. Exactly. You no, know, she's going to go back and she's going to say, you know what my son said? And they're going to go, what? Is it a podcast? They're going to want to listen to it. <laughs> so... Uh... I mean, yeah, so we've had real steady, both man and myself, very, very steady family structure, you know, almost level, I'd say, of boring. Yeah, so, mm. you know, both families, man and myself, have four siblings, you know, um, parents own houses. So they are, both of our parents migrated, immigrated from uh, Jamaica okay. back in the 1950s. So we're the, like the first generation, we're the first man and myself for the first generation of born here of Jamaican parentage. Okay. So they went from Jamaica to, to London. Yeah, from Jamaica to London, yeah. Oh man, that's a big move. Okay. Yeah. So uh I think it was a free boat ride, so they went, you know, it cost <laughs> anything. So. I mean you wonder you know how you wonder how people get certain places? Cause Jamaica to, to London is like, okay, how did did they ever talk to you about how they made that decision to to make you their first generation? You know what? They will not talk about it. I think they had mm. they had lots of challenges. You know, the, you know, coming to London as a black family, not knowing the place, the culture was different. It was cold. Yeah. It was, it was smog. It was really quite challenging for them. And I mean, the other day, someone asked me for Marilyn myself's bio. And I defined our parents as entrepreneurs, risk takers, travelers. Just yeah. imagine packing one bag, getting on a boat, not knowing where you're going for three or four weeks on the boat and landing in England to start a whole new career to, to um, you know, find the gold of the streets of England or whatever. You know, that's why they did it. They were entrepreneurs. They were risk takers. And I think that's the bit that's translated across to us. Yeah. That's why, I mean, Marilyn is one of 40 professors, black professors in the UK. Um, Sam is one of a handful. I don't think there are what I would say, um, elite. There are no black professional triathletes, black professional triathletes in the UK, none. So both of those guys 
have been bleeding edge, and I've done some stuff as well that is out there that is different in, in my own career. Right. That's just the nature of the beast. It's you know, it's it's growing, it's coming entrepreneurial, and we're gonna make it work. I'm gonna we're gonna make changes happen. Did they deal with any racism? And did you deal with any racism growing up? Because you know, in America, in those days, it was we were deep in like you know class separation. Mm-hmm. As we talk about, you know, I know yesterday we talked about a little bit about DEI inclusion in the sport of triathlon. Um, what did you see is in that transition, or what what stories did they tell you regarding how they were integrated into? Were they accepted? Did they have to fight? Did they deal with uh, brutality and yeah. and racism? Like, what did that look like for you growing up? You know, so it was well, my dad went through both physical and emotional. Racism, you know, you're talking about the 50s and 60s. Right. And, um, you know, there, there's some some things that we, we relate to. So now you have the media talking about gangs of kids walking on the street, you know, and they want to get the gangs broken up. Now, my dad, when he was here, probably in his late 20s, 30s, was walking home one day and a gang of what they call skinheads jumped him. Yeah. And after that, he started walking with his mates. And because they were on the building trade, they all used to carry chisels or something with them, you know, as a means of protection, which is still happening today in some ways in our society. Right. So they weren't they weren't gangsters. They were just they just happened to be guys who wanted to protect themselves and their families. And you know, my dad. My dad bought a house very, very early on in England, which was, was really weird. You know, um, a lot of the people, there was a sign, the, the strangest story, I think, there the are two things in Britain that still are talked about today. And when they went to rent a room, there was a sign on the doors that said, no blacks, no Irish, and no dogs. Damn. I'm telling you that, yeah? And the, the hardest bit of it was um, there was a, a, a politician in the Conservative Party that came up with a slogan. So we got two, two political parties here. So we got Labour and Conservative. And Labour is left to centre and the Conservatives are right to centre. And the Conservative right to centre politician said, if you want an N-word for a neighbour, vote Labour. Wow. Yeah, and you can look that up. We've come, we've come a long way, but we also ain't went nowhere at the same time. You know what I mean? You know, we always say, if you don't know your past, you're damned to repeat it. You're damned to repeat it, and you can't change things and your future. So it's not that I'm reflecting on it negatively. It's what makes us stronger. You know, as as, as man and mum would say, you know, dirt only kills you if it drops on your head. Type stuff. So she had a whole lot of sayings that were. <laughs> it, was, it was it was unbelievable. Witty. Yeah, yeah. So she was really witty. You know, she was. She was hard as nuts. I mean, I always said to her that if I went to war, if I went to battle, she's the first person I'd call with me. Yeah, she was like that. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's that's the sort of, not, not upbringing. I don't think our parents kept it away from us. But I, my, my story is slightly different. You're talking about me. So my parents, they went back to Jamaica in 1962, and I was only an itty-bitty bab. And that's when I went to Jamaica. So I spent 17 or 18 years of my life in Jamaica. Before I came back to UK. Okay, that's where your accent. Okay, I always, I was, well, always wondered that because you still have a strong. You got the mixture, right? Obviously, you got the mixture going on, but you have that Jamaican accent. You know what I mean? That, no, that broken English going on. It depends. You got me relaxed. That's why. 
Yeah. Oh, that's a good thing. If I wasn't an actor, right, you'd hear me doing my Prince Charles. You know, it's like anything, right? You 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 have to. It's not the strongest who survives; the most adaptable. So I, I adapt. Right. You know, when I when I used, I've come to America to work, and when I go to meetings in America, I put on my plumbest British accent, and it really freaks out the Americans because they think, you know, a black guy from England did a meeting in America, and it's like, what is this? Because they hear me, and they don't see mm-hmm. what they're hearing. Right. That's just that's just just normal. Don't be throwing your trade secrets away on this podcast, man. You, you still got a lot of deals to make. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm cool. They just think I'm smart, you know, with the accent. I think you are smart. Stop. No, 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 no. I'm smarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw you, you. I mean, you've progressed very, very well. Like, and you know, you went back over to Jamaica. You came back. Did you come back with your parents this time? Did they? Did, did they or you just came back by yourself? Yeah. So I came back with twenty pounds in my pocket. Thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. And a suitcase. What year was that? Seventy-seven. So did you jump right back into racism again? Like, did I mean, I mean, is, well, what, what was it know, like? What was the difference? When you're naive, right? We're really naive. So I, I, I have this twenty pounds, right, and I have ten bottles of rum with me for some family members in England. You got ten bottles of rum and, and thirty dollars. Yeah. Did the rum? Uh, was the rum more expensive than the thirty dollars you had? Oh yeah, definitely. But the worst <laughs> thing that happened to me, I get to customs and the guy calls me over. So that's my first interaction with customs. And he says, "What you got in the bag?" And I said, "On oh, my clothes and some gifts." So he opens it and it started rattling, you know, ding a ding a ding a ding. Right, like right. That. And he said, "Sorry, you got to pay twenty dollars to bring the rum." <laughs> You, you got to give me everything you got but the liquor. That's what this is what he should have said. <laughs> You've done a lot with nothing, right? That's what you, your, your your family came over here with nothing, with one suitcase. You did the exact same thing, but you had rum, so it was a little bit better, right? Because you had the rum with you, yeah. right? And do you, do you see that same correlation in triathlon as you are a black man with a black son in triathlon now? Do you do you feel that you only had that one suitcase or just a little bit of nothing when you came in and you're you're trying to create something for yourself and your family? The answer is yes. I mean, I think I was so young and naive when I turned up with the suitcase and the rum. I just I'm here, you know. I'm in England, you know. I know that my parents gave me a one way ticket, so they were saying, "Don't bring your ass back." Come back. You can't stay here. <laughs> it was a bit like that. <laughs> you know, um, just like, here's a ticket, go. Yeah. I, I laugh about it now, and I don't think I was one. Of, I'm not one of these people to say, oh, my God, you know, it's affected me mentally and my well-being. You just have to get on. You you, you, you can't stop and do that because it, it, it can destroy you. So I just got on. I got me a part-time job. Within seven years, I bought my first house. I had the same cultural challenges that my parents had. Right. And even though I was in England as a black person, as a black man, the people I would, I moved with just didn't have the same. See, they, they grew up in England. I didn't grow up in England. I, my formative years weren't here. So right. their perspective of English life was totally different from mine. And, and it's, it's very simple. So in Jamaica, I had – my uncle was a judge. My cousins were bank managers. 
Well, and I had some who were incarcerated as well. But when I came to England, there were no people of color, no black people who had those sort of senior jobs working in banks, you know, were, were, were judges, were lawyers, were doctors. It was so few and far between. So the, the kids here didn't have representation, didn't have the role models. Mm, what does that sound like? <laughs> what does that sound like? Yeah. Right? And and then I got here and I was like, in, in some ways more freer than them because I didn't have those constraints of those belief systems. I didn't understand the politics. And when I arrived, they said to me, there's this thing called a sus law, which means the police can stop you if they suspect you of doing a crime. Sound like racial profiling, like just defined differently. If you were standing outside of a bank and that you didn't have five pounds on you, they could say, well, why are you doing here? You're going to rob the bank. And you get a criminal record. Then you get a criminal record, which means you couldn't get a job in the civil service or the police. Right. So there are a lot of black men who went to that. And I, I dodged all of those bullets because it's not the life I wanted. It's not the life I grew up with. Yeah. It was never going to happen to me. And Marilyn grew up here with all of those people, and she was always going to dodge the bullet. She just saw it, and she just ran from it, went off to university. We were very much alike in the way we view life and what we're doing and our aspirations. You know, we've been together for 30-odd years now. We've been married 30 years. We've been together for about 32 Congratulations years. Congratulations on that, brother. It's, marriage is not easy. It's, it takes work every day. You know what? I, 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 You know, you don't... What's the answer? It's cool. She is... She's cool. You know what I mean? It's That's like, just, yeah. if I sat here and said, I'm going out to play dominoes with some friends and I'm not being back till three o'clock, she would, well, she'd fall asleep until I get back. You know, it, it doesn't bother her. Right. You know. And, don't sweat the small stuff. Exactly. You know, but, you know, if I did anything to hurt her, you know, family would probably come after me, but that's <laughs> That's a motivation to be back before three. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I knew what I was not going to do, but I knew what I had to do. And all I did is I, I, I didn't do necessarily the best in school because I was a bit of a comedian. So I was always telling stories and jokes and right. stuff. And then I got here and I taught myself how to be, how to computer program and I became a programmer. Taught myself to do that, and um, must have been about twenty-one, and then from there I've been in IT for sort of most of my career. After that, and then became a banker for J.P. Morgan, the largest banks in the U.S. of A. And it just seems like like. Your whole life has been, this is the rough draft. Let me build from that. And you continue to use this generational blueprint, right? The, this, this example that your your parents has said that the culture has said is like, I can do something with nothing and I'm gonna make it amazing, right? And it's the same thing that I see you doing within triathlon with Sam, right? And and, and as a black man with a, with, a, with a black son in this industry, uh, how what well, we need to grow is there's, there's you know there's no it's not a secret there's not many you know blacks in triathlon and it's probably yeah. less over there where you are and where was that everything that you've learned and everything that you've you know created within yourself where did when did that really resonate with you that you had to do you could do the same thing within triathlon you know historically 
I mean, just a little bit to take a step back. And when you have a child with autism, and I don't like calling it a disability, I call it people of determination, people are determined. But let's use disability because everybody gets it. So it, it I didn't know anything else. He's my only he's my only son. I don't know what to do, how to do it, but I gotta do it. You know, it's like landing here with, you know, twenty, thirty dollars in your pocket. Right. Right. And you just want to do what you gotta do. You know, it's not uh I he didn't ask to be born, he's here. I have a responsibility. I've got to and talked about it, creating the best environment to be as successful as possible. And that's 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 all I do. It was very very simple, and I know you and I have talked about. I said to you the other day, I haven't done a triathlon, and I need to get fit and I need to do some work. Oh, I like how you bring it up before I do. Oh, yeah, you yeah, think you're yeah. slick? All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I'm just stealing your thunder. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm not stupid. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I think. I was thinking about it today, mm. and I do something which is uh, it's good and bad because I, I I call it my self sacrifice. So I always say I'll take a bullet for my wife. If somebody was shooting, I'd jump in front of her. If a car was coming after Sam, they're going to hit me first. Yeah, so that's how I live my life. So it's about them before. So that that's what I do. So that that's so self sacrifice. And then I, I there's something I tell people. Sometimes I don't practice what I preach. So there's a, you know, when you're on an airplane, if the windows get broken in decompression and the mask falls, what's the first thing they tell you to do? Put your mask on first for assisting someone else. And guess what I do? I assist the other person before I assist myself. Selflessness. And that is a strength and probably a weakness because I will make sure that Sam goes to the gym, Sam works, out, he eats. All of these things are done before moi. And th there's a balance I need to address. That, that's my little demon. Um, but I've been doing that for years, that he comes first, Marilyn's comes first, then it's me. And I'm, I'm cool with that because, you know, that's just how I am as a, as a person. That's, that's my trait. Yeah. If you had to express or explain that feeling that that type of gratification to be there for them is, the way you articulate it, it is beautiful, right? I want to know if you, if, if you can express it for us. So, like, maybe we can have a, a a fighting chance to create that within our own lives. Like, what is that to you? If you if you looked at them in their eyes and you could explain it, what would that sound like? No, it's it's maybe it's it's just too much. It's unconditional love, you know. I, I I I'm not telling you I do this for everybody. I will do it for them. Right. Yeah. And they are prioritized above everything else. That's just the beginning and the end of this. You know, the home we've built, um, some of the risks I've had to take in work. You know, I've, I've been off to the Middle East to work for a year. You know, I just go off to work wherever I needed the money. And I have no qualms about doing that. You know what I mean? I've had to drive 200 miles each way to work every day for you know, two or three years. I'll, I'll do what I have to do. But I think the 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 beauty, maybe the answer to your question is, when I look at where we are now, I can say, hey, look, Sam's a triathlete. Yeah. And Marilyn's a professor. And um, we've got a roof over our head, the heat's up, we can pay our bills. And you may call those basic things. But I also know that a lot of people don't have them. And I remember not having them myself. 
here. I remember having to walk to it because I had no money. So it's not like I, we talked about reflecting on the past to look at your present and your future. And then again, I'd look at it and say, I hope I'm giving Sam some of the skills to survive as well. Okay, not just about being kindness, but, but about being caring and not afraid to use the word love. Not if, you know, it's, it's like saying to yourself, hey, put some face cream on because your, or your hands are rusty, you know, crusty. Put some cream <laughs> rusty. on. Ashy. And, and, and they're going, I don't use cream, I'm a man. Use cream. Women like men whose hands are not crusty. Yeah. Uh oh, he's teaching right now, y'all. Y'all better be listed. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, 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 um, and I think the, the, the greatest reward for me with Sam is that he's now 28. And some people say, is he still at home? And I said, yeah. But guess what? I've got to know my son as a man. He's not 18 or 17 like I was, and I got kicked out. And don't be silly. I love my parents. Yes, there's not an animosity about that. But I've got to know him. I've got to live with him. I've got to see him grow up. I've got to see him mature. He could have been married with three kids and living in another country right now, but he's not. And that, for me, is the biggest blessing. You know, um, when he's ready to go, he can go. But um, every now and again, he tells me he's leaving. When we argue, if I'm coaching him and he says, Dad, don't shout <laughs> me like that. I'm going. And I said, Typical child. And I, and I go, here you are. I said, no, no, you, you, you cannot take your bike with you. I bought that bike. And he goes, but, but it's mine. I said, oh, you want to take the bike. And I said, well, you can't take any food with you. And I said, so where are you going to sleep tonight? This is, we had this a few years ago. I said, where are you going to sleep? And he went, I don't know. I said, but you're leaving home. You know, and I need your key. And he just freaked out on me. <laughs> you know, I played with him because his mom would kill me. If he'd, if he'd watch out, he couldn't find him. She would kill me. But I, 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 I do those tricks with him now and again. It's okay. But it, it's as long as he's, you know what he is? He's probably the hardest working, most consistent and determined person I've ever met. He's reliant, he's relentless, and he's reliable. He's, 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 and, and I mean that, you know, it's my boy, but I'm telling you, you know, um, I, I didn't coach before him. And I may have coached people, don't be honest, I've mentored people. I'm talking about sports coaching. Right. And this guy is easy to coach. Yeah. He is, he is a worker. And some of that ethic I know he's got from his mom, especially because she is incredible. And he just has that ethic deep inside of him. You know, he's, he just works. He just works, Morgan. He, it, it's, it's unbelievable. My job is to make sure he doesn't overwork and overtrain as well. Really important. You know, I talk about, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and all that sort of stuff. And I still haven't worked out what it takes to raise a champion. But even the other day, someone was saying to him, um, just talking about him. And I realized I, I want him to be a champion. You know, we talked about winning. I want him to be a champion. I want him on that podium. I want him next to Eden and um, Blumenfeld. I want him up there. You know, I want him there. And I have to sacrifice to get him there because he's not going to do it on his own. Yeah, so that's where my sacrifice comes from. Okay, I, I, I think if, if, if we, and I say we, because you and I talk about this stuff, if we can make this happen, it's a significant change in any sport where there's a lack of diversity. Yeah, it gives us the icons we talked about before. Somebody that they can say, 
look at that young guy doing it. And it's not just because he's a black kid or a black young man. He's also got a disability. Has this person got such special skills? So, you know, there, there's, there'll be good outcomes for him. But I think the greatest outcome for me is I'm not going to be here forever. I need to leave him a legacy. Or I've got to leave him in a position so he can own. Because I'm not going to be here forever. You know, I heard a parent say to me the other day, her wish was to die one day after her son dies, who has autism. That was a wish. Why? Because when they go, who's going to look after the child? Who's going to be there to support? Yeah. So there's there's lots of stuff like that going on. So for me, it's finding that independence, that he has a very clear mission, a sense of purpose. The good thing about triathlon is that they're 80-year-olds doing it. And we, I joke with them all the time and say, you're going to be the oldest black man out there at 80 years old, <laughs> still doing a half Ironman or an Ironman event or a trail run. And he said, yep, Dad. Um, so, you know, setting those dreams for him and helping him to realize the dreams is, is probably the key. You know, um, there's lots of other stuff. That was deep when you talked about the lady who wanted to die like after this her son did and these are things that you know people with uh like i, like I told you um my sister was born without any eyes yes. and i, I kind of explained that to you and, and i kind of see the same thing because parents of children and adults with disabilities are different you have to evolve into what you want to create and you have to almost it's like it's like coaching you have to predict okay i want him to be able to survive when i'm gone okay how am i going to do that and we yes we all do that as parents right you have yeah. to lay it lay it all out for them it, almost like in the survival sense of like okay how am i going to create this longevity within somebody that society doesn't even consider normal Right, because that's what we're really living up to. We're living up to societies, what norms and what they accept. So you got to get creative. Yeah, every day. Right, every day. Right, and you talk every to me day. about the even when you're communicating with them, when you're talking to them, and how you love them, and and how you teach them how to love. Right, because you can say, "Hey, you should do this like this," but he doesn't experience it or see it the same way. It can be less intense or more intense. Yeah, or the same thing is where you tell me you was telling me that story. I tell. The story about the the tree. I, I thought about that. About you say, hey, it, it, go to the tree, and you got to be more detailed. Yeah, right. And what happened? Like you, 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 they they told him to go to the tree. What, what ended up happening to him? And he kind of gave us some light on that story. Yeah, I think we were doing the first um, who who was a poker video. Okay, a few years ago, and the guys were doing some videos and recording. And Sam was on his bike in the park, and I said, Sam. Just go up to that tree and turn around. Who told him that? Not me. One of the producers, the directors from okay. the film. He said, okay. just go up to that tree and turn around. So Sam cycles off and I said to him, did you tell him which tree to go to? And he said, no. And Sam just went over the horizon. He just disappeared. 
<laughs> I said, you, I said, don't worry, you'll come back. But you've got to be really specific. And I don't think they understood how specific they need to be. And it still is challenging. And that's just part of the autism. It's a constant process. When he was younger, I mean, he always had problems with on, under, over, through, around. All of those things were really okay. challenging. And so we just had to play games every day, every day. But I, I tell you what you said, right, which is, which is a good learning. And maybe that's why, because Marilyn's has been a teacher as well. If you're saying that I'm setting a pathway for Sam, if I'm guiding him, if I'm talking to him, if I'm going to his world so he can be successful, that should be the best practice for every parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah? It, no, I agree. It's something every parent should do. Every parent. So, you know, you say I'm doing, I'm having to see the world differently and be a bit more extraordinary and be a different type of parent. I think I'm just being, what I'm doing should be best practice. It's just like coaching. To, to get Sam to understand things. You know, we always talk about coaching is more about listening to your client rather than just telling right. them. So there's that combination, you know, we say, you know, two ears, one mouth. That's what it's about. And the way I work with Sam, I think some of the practices in terms of getting athletes to respond positively could be, you know, from Sam's teachings and Sam's approach, could work quite well in the new particular world. We'd work really well. Yeah. Yeah, but it, they, you, we can say it, it. It's easy to say oh, all parents should do it, but you know us as, as human beings. It don't matter color, creed, race, sex, sexual orientation. We have a have to. We don't. We can't afford to be complacent. We do things above and beyond. But if you look at society, normal parents, if you want to call that normal, right? That we sometimes we don't have to. So we're complacent because things are not as challenging, right? That that creativity comes from, that that direction comes from when you put that challenge in front of you, it's like I need to, like you said, like coaching. Every athlete is a challenge. You know why? Because every athlete is different. different so yeah. you have to be creative and, and have a what they call a beginner's mind, right? And come into each athlete as, as if you've never had one before. And what would you do? And sometimes as parents, we get complacent in dealing with our kids, dealing with people. And you don't get to you don't get to do that. And autism, you don't get to do that. And I, I don't think people that's that's the part I don't think people understand because there was a point where I didn't understand it. Like I, I grew up with my sister literally having no eyes, but it was something I grew up with. It was like normal. Like it I would normal, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I would I would do normal things like you know, I would go in. I remember, you know, going into the her bedroom and then coming in there and saying, why you got the lights off? Right. Well, she can't see. So it really she's like, Morgan, I can't see. So I don't really need the light. But like for us, it was it was a it was a normal thing. Right. I, I don't know much about autism. I hear yeah. the kids have a slight bit on the, on the spectrum. I, I've heard all kinds of stuff. But what is it? Right. And maybe that can help people understand that that difference that we were talking about, even though they shouldn't be different, but but that is different. So so simply put, it's an intellectual disability that's lifelong, and it can also be a learning disability, which means that the people who are on the spectrum 
see the world differently and they problem solve differently. And that's really what it's about. So, you know, for us, I try to remember things that Sam would do to solve problems. Um, a lot of companies are hiring people on the spectrum because they're helping them to create new products because they see the world, they problem solve differently. And I'm talking about those who are- you serious? Yeah, I'm talking about those who are more able. So that's at one end of the spectrum. The other end, there are people with autism who don't recognize their parents on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay? I mean, I know people who have, they, they, they can't bring their children up, they have to put them in a home, that they cannot cope. And I don't blame them for that either. They just cannot. Because they have a multitude of problems. It's not only um, the intellectual disability, it's learning disability. They may have other sorts of things that are, you know, challenging for the, for the, for the family as well. And they can't cope. And I know men who walked away from their families because they can't cope. And I'm not blaming them because each person has to deal with it differently. Right. So, so, so that's how I see it. I'm not blaming people. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying you have to make your own choice and you have to live with it yourself. Yeah. It's not simple. Yeah. You, I mean, you live with it every day. And I know that you, he's made you proud. I remember doing um, St. George together and it was great because I got to meet you guys. We got to sit down and break bread and, um, Sam was doing his thing that day, you know, he's like, and he, I, the only person I've met that can actually eat much as I do, if not more. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, running that's on the course, that's my, man. that's my cooking. Yeah, it's good stuff, though. It was really good stuff. And I've been on the course and on the run course, and he comes up to me and say, he said, keep going, coach. It made my day, bro. It, it literally made my day because you hear about people with autism, they don't really interact with a lot of people. They don't like sometimes sounds and noises change how they interact with people and stuff like that. And they just don't go up to strangers. That's not a thing. Like they have to be comfortable with them and build relationships. And, you know, I met him one time. We really didn't have no conversation. I just, you know, talked to him normal. Like I would talk to my sister or anybody else. And, um, and he came up to me and said, keep going coach. And he, then he just takes off, obviously. Like he just passes <laughs> me like I'm not, not even standing there. And it was the, it just it made my day, man, because I didn't I didn't talk to a lot of people that day because it was it was a suffer fest, yeah, uh, for many of us, <laughs> and uh, and he was just it was it was like he was just happy, man, and it was it was great. I really appreciate that. I can help you with some of that, right? Because it's quite amazing. So I spend a lot of my time trying to understand how Sam thinks, and then get into his world because I have to explain things in a way that he understands so he can repeat them. And the other thing you have to do is I can't speak too quickly because when I speak too quickly, I'll give multiple instructions. If I give him five instructions, I want you to leave here, run to that tree, run three times around, do a backflip, um, swim 100 meters and come back. He look at me like, huh? And no coach should do that. No coach right. should do that, yeah? You set a swim session, you give them a sheet with a swim session, they go and they swim it and they can check it as they go along so they get it right. So those are the things I've had to learn to do with Sam in terms of um, coaching him. Now, the other thing we looked at is um, what does running do to you? What does sport and, ed and training do to you? We had a chat. He did a sports science degree, as I told you. And one of the things we talked about was endorphins. And how endorphins make you feel good. And the thing is, when this guy runs, when he's come back from the gym, he talks, he interacts with you. 
And when he's doing nothing, there are no endorphins. And it, like the endorphins have helped him to relax. So the reason he spoke to you is when he's out there running, he's in his happy place. Oh. When he's out there training, he's happy. So there are a couple of things. The endorphins was also the sense of achievement. I know he was buzzing when he finished that St. George. He was buzzing. You tried to lift me up. Yeah? At the end, he, he wasn't tired enough. He tried to lift me up. So he should have been so tired. He didn't finish the race all on the floor rolling over right <laughs> he finished the race well within himself which is good because the first thing for him was to finish yeah and finish as best he could but you were privileged that he recognized you and motivated you yes On the Rossier side, there is a lot of work to be done. So my, my biggest thing, one of the big things I'm doing is I interact with the World Triathlon Council and the IPC and the International Paralympic uh, Committee because they have excluded people with autism from participating in the Paralympics or Special Olympics. That's a big job to do. They're excluded from participating. Yeah, because they don't have a physical disability. And Sam can't do Sam can't do Special Olympics because his IQ is greater than 75. That's it. And they just exclude them for that reason. But I think the for me, what Sam is doing is that it's making parents out there that have I say neurodiverse, I say children with disabilities. I just use the whole spectrum, right? You know, a child who has challenges, a family member's challenges that sport is important is an important part of healing it's so important it's so so valuable because it gives a sense of purpose it gives a sense of reward and doing something it gives you confidence it gives you self esteem and a lot of folk who have a disability don't get that regularly that's why it's so important it doesn't matter if you're watching special olympics or paralympics on the television yeah it's the person who the first time, you know, you know, in the army, you know, a lot of guys who've been injured in the army and they've got to recover. Recovery is hard work. Right. I have DMs from folk who are saying to me, I have a child who's five years old. They're autistic. I've read Sam's story and it's given me hope. Yeah. And that's families from South Africa, from Canada, from America, from Jamaica, from Germany, all over the world. Ghana coming to me and saying they've just seen a story and it's given them hope because a lot of them were where we were when Sam was five. We didn't know what was going to happen. And there were no stories about people on the spectrum who were becoming successful in sport or in many other fields. And there was this one kid, you know, who is so humble. It's unbelievable. He's just doing these great things. And sometimes I don't realize how great they are because he's just Sam to me. He's, he's my boy. You know, you may look at it and say, oh, my God, you know, it's just amazing. And it, it's, it's, it's what we do. You know, it's my six-year-old grandniece would say, that's how I roll. And if he motivates one person to get off their button exercise, if he makes one other person decide that they want to go and become a triathlete with autism, then it's all the good. And that's, 
the other side of the coin. It's not just being an athlete and being a great athlete. It's it's doing the good things in life. It's getting people, you know, to to you know, it's why the cage bird sings, it's why they raise their head so they can sing. It's about all of that stuff. And that is really where this is going. And that's where he's going to get greatness. You know, races can come and go, but greatness in terms of transformative behavior. Remember, we talked about transformation in the beginning and making change. That's where he's making his change. And that's where he should, man. And that's where he is. Man. That's the key. Like, you never know when you push through and you do things that people deem to be impossible and you make it possible, the lives that you you affect. Do you think, you know, you say he, he was excited when he was out there in St. George and he was uh, elated. Like, what was that? What was that experience like for you and your family and him? Like, what, was that different from any other race? Like, why was he so excited? Why did he want to pick you up? Like, what was he going through and how did he get there? So for us, firstly, it's always nerves. Okay. It's just like scary. It's, um, as a matter of fact, you can't talk to me when he's racing. You, you just do not talk to me because I'm running every stride with him. I'm cycling every pedal stroke and I'm swimming every stroke with him. And Marilyn doesn't talk to me. She just leaves me alone for four hours or five hours, five and a half hours. She just does not talk to me because I'm unbearable. Until I see him come out and swim. The swim's okay. But until I see him get off that bike and know he's running, I'm like, is he okay? Because he's done races before where he's had real um, GI issues with his stomach. And um, that's really been hard. And then he did St. George. And then the dad in me, sorry, was saying, is he going to be okay? And then the most frightening bit is I'm the one who's pushing him to do this. I'm the one who's coaching him. And if anything was to happen, I'm saying it's my fault. So as a coach, there's a responsibility to your athlete. And as a dad, I have responsibility to him. So it's really, you know, it's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Why was he excited? Why was he why was he so excited though? Because he loves medals. <laughs> like all of us. He loves medals. And the, the other thing is, the other thing is, although he's quiet, every time he sees a little article on social media about him, he says, Hey dad, that's me. I'm gonna be famous. I'm thinking, where's this coming from? This is this humble guy. And then he said, just the other night, he said, I'm gonna be famous, and you and mom are gonna be my minions. Yeah. And I said to him, and you're going to be my pension. Yeah. So. Ah, don't so you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> we always, you know, parents are like, man, we, you know, in the back of our mind, we're like, I, mean, I hope they do real well with themselves so I can stop doing whatever I got to do. <laughs> you know, my daughter, we send them to college. We're like, I hope you become a doctor. That's what people don't understand. We think we just want our kids to be okay, but we really want them to be so successful where we ain't got to work no more. But guess what? This is the best job I have in the world. Yeah, I can be coaching dad at the same time. It's the best job. I've been in the corporate world, and I hope I don't have to go back. I don't want to go back. This is the best job. I wish I knew that coaching was so fulfilling. I'd have done it 20 years ago. You ain't lying about that. You don't, man, coaching is, because I, I, I mean, when I started, when I started coaching, it had nothing to do, honestly, with the people. Like it did. Like I knew I was good with people, and I knew it was sport. I'm good at athletics, right? But like, I never knew that it was going to be so rewarding seeing people achieve. Yeah, 
right? Seeing them overcome hard obstacles and things. Because, like, again, at some level in everybody's, in some people's lives, maybe everybody's, where you get, you have this season where you can place it. And I think coaching for me happened when I needed it the most. When I, when I, I it, it happened after I came back from Afghanistan. And it's just, it, it, it became a way for me to give back to the world. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes we have to figure it out. Like, what do I do? How can I do this? And I didn't see that as a gift. I saw it as a thing. And then as I started to talk to more people and really get in, when you get ingrained in a triathlon, people think it's about the the, the, the medals, the golds, but the, the emotional and mental growth that happens with every individual, autism yeah. or not, yeah. is far, will far outweigh any medal any damn race experience because those feelings, those thoughts, the, they transcend the sport, right? You take that, that, that great feeling and know that I can do this. And that means I can do this. And this was hard. And I overcame this run and I can take it back to my profession and use that same wheel, that same grit and move forward in it, man. And it is, it has been the, it is the most other than having my kids, the most rewarding thing I can have of something that I can give to, Morgan, to, to, Morgan, to the you world. Didn't have the kids, you made them. Those you, okay. <laughs> getting, so we did it together, don't it? And it was it was it was fun too. <laughs> but you know, one thing you talked about in autism in that the sensory nature, the noise, the crowds. Mm-hmm. What I learned is that Sam wanted to do triathlons and race more than being worried about the crowds. So he had to deal with that mentally. You have right. to get over that barrier because I said, if you can't take the crowds, you can't race. If you can't swim in a crowd of people, you can't do triathlons. And he just said, I want to do it. And however he shuts himself off, sometimes he sings, you know, um, Hakuna Makata, one of those Disney songs in his head. Oh, you're talking about Kumanatata. Kumanatata? Yeah. yeah. What a wonderful thing, you know, and he sings that and he goes off and he races. So he's learned coping mechanisms. It's not that it doesn't happen. I've seen him do it a couple of times. And he used to be annoyed when I had my, I got my speakers and my sound system, you know, being an old Jamaican reggae boy, you know, got my big boxes. Yeah. And if you play the music too loud, he'd have his hands over his ears and his head down and he couldn't take the noise. And... He's learned if you want to do triathlons, there's going to be crowds, there's going to be people, there's going to be noise, there's going to be the horn going off when the race starts. Loud one, yeah. Get used to it or you can't do it. And he found a way to cope. <laughs> like, he, he might deal with the noise and the crowds, but you, you got to think we all go. I, I do triathlon, right? And yeah. for him, it may have been like, I got to get to do this. It's, we all are overcoming something. Yes. Right. And we, we talked about this yesterday. We talked about how, this is that piece where we think people with disabilities or with autism go through their own set of things. But if you look at the, the deep part of it, we all go through the exact same things they go through. It, it just looks a little bit different sometimes. Yeah. But that's what for me. And I've never shared this with a lot of people. My wife knows this. I can't stand crowds. Wow. Well. Right. I can't I don't like people behind me. I don't I don't I don't like it Uh, when we go out. um, If we go to a crowded place, I stay on the edges because I can see what's going on in the middle. That comes from being 
Afghanistan, right? Yeah. yeah. It's something that is hard for me. I don't mind the sa- certain sounds, but when I hear the, the gun go off, it, it reminds me of rockets. Yeah. Yeah. It, does it scare the hell out of me? No, because I'm kind of adapted to it. But like when I hear those sounds, missiles, well, last time I heard missiles, they were literally being shot at us. Yeah. So um, that that's a, that's a reflection. And so we say that these the, the people with autism or these disabilities are going through these things and they're not normal. But that's the problem is we we take these the, these fights, internal fights that we have and we say that we're not supposed to have them when in, in fact that we do. Right. And so it takes a lot. And my wife knows this. It takes a lot for me. And this is the people's coach talking. I want to make sure everybody understand that this yeah. is I am people. Like, that's what I do. But when I'm with large groups of people, when I'm at races, I'm dealing with something. Right. I've gotten better at it, but I'm still hyper vigilant. Right. I'm always on. And that's it's tiring for me. And we all can we all are overcoming something. And that's what that's what's great about triathlon. That's what's great about endurance sports is because there's always growth to be found. You know, I I put an article out there. I found it in um, Harvard Business Review. And they talk about the traits of a triathlete and how they all the traits that great leaders need. So relentless, determination, focus. All of these things are what triathletes do. And academically, they say triathletes will make great leaders. I, I think anyone who does triathlete, as you say, endurance sport, has special skills because they need to concentrate for very long periods. They need to be dedicated and committed. It's amazing. Yeah, I can spend a whole lot of silent time for myself. Like, so a lot of people are like, I can't. Um, you hear people say that and they do. They don't do like super long stuff. Like, I could never do it for that long. And so, you riding bikes for three hours, four hours, seven hours if you're doing a full. You know, you run yeah. a marathon. I had a boss that told me that a long time ago. He said, "I know you're going to get the job done because you're Iron Man." Yeah. And I was like, "What?" And this is this is the, the beginning days of when I first started doing this. Definitely. And I was like, "What is? What is he talking about? It's, what the hell, Iron Man got to do with they go doing my job?" And he said the same things that you said, right? Because it takes a certain amount of grit, perseverance, resilience, and you know, knowledge, patience. So we can go on a list of uh, enthusiasm that comes with being a triathlete. And if you can take that and do these events, because the event is maybe what a few a uh, few hours, eight hours, 12, 15 hours. But that journey to it, you're experiencing that and you're learning how to deal with those trials and tribulations throughout the whole journey. And it, it becomes that's why they say triathlon is not a sport, it's a way of life, right? Because you start to think like one in everything you do. You know what you said there's reminded me is that you met you've met Sam at 28. So you're seeing some of the results of all of that hard work from he was diagnosed at four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we couldn't get him to run. He couldn't ride a bike till he was 14. All of that sort of stuff. You're seeing the end of it. And sometimes people see the end result and go, my God, isn't he amazing? And nobody knows the trials and tribulations. Yeah. And that bit, I think, is part of the story to be told. But I'll tell you the other thing. You know, you talked about your sister who's, who's blind, yeah? Yes, sir. There are people who can see your sister and recognize that she's blind. 
When you saw Sam on the course, would you think he was autistic? Nobody else probably knew. Yeah. That's the big difference. Yeah, nobody else. Like I know because I know, but like he didn't. He's he's he he's, he patted me on my back like he was like I was <laughs> like I was. You know that pat you get when you're too slow for somebody and they just give you that a boy. Bro, and that run course was brutal, and he he was he was going through that thing like it was on a flat course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing good, man. And when y'all went into that race, you know that's the that, that's the you know we talk about hard courses. You tell y'all went to that race like. Did you, did you have high expectations on or oh, what yeah. to expect, or did you even care because you know whatever Sam was going to do, he was just going to do his best? I always set high expectations. Okay. Always, 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 always. So the first thing, um, we didn't know the course, but we know the course was hard. And then there was the rain and the wind and the thunder. And the yeah, life happened on, yeah. on the course. <laughs> on the course. So we, we were like, cool, get home. He did 544, which was – the average time. Really good out there, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was only his fourth 70.3 ever. It was his fourth race. And he was racing against veterans. I mean, people with 20 races, 30 races in them. Dude, I'm telling you, I don't care if veteran or not, I've done ultra-distance triathlons, right? Like long, hard stuff. That's literally probably the hardest race I have ever done. Yeah. And it was just, it was brutal. Right. And then he, he comes by as like, oh, this is just another walk in the park. Right. <laughs> Man, he's going to be up there. He's going to keep doing the, the great things. And I, I, I appreciate that I got to meet him. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I, I look for, I told you that before, I look forward to, to, to hanging out with you guys. Definitely. We're going to wrap it up for the day. And this is what it's about, brother. This is what triathlon is about. I appreciate your time, brother. You too, my brother. And I will see you soon. We're on our way over. We've got some plans. Or you you, you can always come to fair old rainy England. We'd love to see you. Oh, I'm coming there too. I got to get the passport right. (laughs) All right, brother. You have a good day. You too. Cheers, Morgan. Man, that was great. Tony always brings smiles to my face, smiles to my heart. I want to be just like him. I want to feel just like him. I want to make the impact that he is trying to make in his son's life, in his wife's life. If we can learn anything from this, people, you define the way your life is lived. You decide who you will become. You can have trials, tribulations. People can say you won't. People can say you can't. And people can say it'll never be done, but they don't get the right to make that choice. You do. If you enjoyed that conversation, you've got to see the Humans of Hoka film on Sam Holness, now available on all Iron Man Global social channels and Hoka's YouTube page. The Beyond Podcast Series brought to you by Hoka and Iron Man.